Some of us take this seriously. Thank you very much. <laughs> Start the show. All right. So we're doing season one, episode three. Yeah, three. The, the Enemy Within. The synopsis was new SG-2 Commander Kowalski is overtaken by a parasite, which then forces the leader to try and re-enter the Stargate, as written by TV Guide. So what do you remember going into the episode? Um, mostly the... Mostly <laughs> what TV Guide says. I remember that Kowalski has a gold in him. Uh, I remember this is the episode... I remember that they sort of laid some groundwork in this episode, but I like you know they do more like setting up, but I couldn't remember exactly how that went down. Uh, mm-hmm. And I remember the ridiculous cold open where Jack and Kowalski are like basically just joking with each other and asking which uh, which one of the two randomly named planets they want to go to. I don't know why I remember that, but I did. Yeah, I don't. I thought that would be a cold open warm open if you just jump shit. I don't know. Anyway, the, I thought it was I, a cold open is the the part before the theme. I could be wrong. Well, one of us could look it up while the other one's talking. The uh, I guess I can per, do that. Perhaps on one of our glass faced devices where we won't hear the keys. The uh, uh, no, same as you. I remember. You know, Kowalski has the gold in his head, which I mean they show us at the end of the previous episode. But the other thing that stood out to me that I didn't remember if it was an actually like, actually from this episode or not, was the weird circular surgery rig that he's put into mm. since pulling goulds out of people's heads is not this is not the last time we're gonna see this, I presume, having no future knowledge. <laughs> I couldn't be sure that I wasn't hallucinating this in my head. But Yeah, so we have the cold or warm open at the beginning. It which, is a cold open. Ah, very good. Which uh, I really appreciate. We got that little bit of humor there. Yeah. You know, shows that they all get along with each other. They're all buddies. And I do have one thing to comment on. I'm pretty sure this in that, it was either in the cold open or immediately after when the goulds are slamming things into the Stargate. Oh, that's another thing. They call them goulds. Plural. I, I, I kept hitting on that, too. That <laughs> Teal would always refer to them as the Gould. Where at, and then immediately afterwards, I would be like, so these Goulds, then. <laughs> so, th- I, I'm pretty sure this is the only time, and I'm probably going to be, like, proven wrong in the next episode, that we see the iris move when something hits. The wibble wobble? I yeah. was thinking about that as well, because I feel like... That's something that we will only see seasons later when we're be also being told that it's getting getting hit with some really serious stuff. Yeah, but anyway, and, we should we should uh, actually explain what exactly happened in this cold open for people who may not have seen the episode recently. Well, then what are they doing listening to us? No, no, please keep listening. <laughs> so it opens with Hammond telling. Uh, SG-1 and 2, or SGs 1 and 2, that uh, there are two planets that they're going to, and then there's some friendly banter between Jack and Kowalski. And then we hear an announcement that is not one that we would hear later in the show, 
uh, where instead of the usual thing that we're used to in the future, which we don't know because of future knowledge, uh, they say alert inbound traveler. Yes, I definitely picked up on how it would be different from the future, but not necessarily... I, I didn't... I, I failed to write down the exact words that Walter was using. Who still doesn't have a name. No, he does not. And then the Stargate opens, and a whole bunch... Um, they close the iris manually, for some reason. Uh, and then uh, a bunch of things hit the iris, and they talk about how the Gould have been sending weapons or possibly soldiers at them for a while now. Goulds. Yes, that's right, Goulds. And then we get the Stargate team. So what I touched, what, what I noted during that opening sequence was one that we had a three-minute self-destruct from the second the gate starts spinning. Oh yeah, not I don't know even why once, I mentioned that. Not even once the wormhole opens, but it's you know the gate is spinning. Boom! Activate self-destruct. He says to do it manually, and it's totally not necessary either because they say there's a failsafe where it will destruct automatically if the iris fails. I feel like the failsafe was the three-minute countdown. I, I didn't. I didn't take that to mean that, and also, if somehow the clock gets broken, the base blows up anyway. Yeah, that probably makes sense. I took it more as, and besides, we have the failsafe countdown clock that's only set for three minutes. It's Well, at this point, they, they may not know that a Stargate can stay open a lot longer than three minutes. Yes. At least 12 times longer. So the other things that, you know, the, you know, Kowalski with his neck pain. Yep. You know, ominous portents. Oh yes, and, the ominous portent. Yes. And then finally, you know, you know, Kowalski, we need you to top condition so you can go to P three five seven five. And the little wink as Kowalski walked out of the room, since that was the one that. Yeah, I I, I appreciate the. Yeah. Little bits of banter and the little bits of. Literally yeah, it's nice because it because you know Hammond was totally doing that deliberately. Oh no, absolutely because. As we'll definitely see demonstrated later in the episode, and we'll get to, Hammond loves his people, and also knows that they're all human, and knows how to get along with them. Yeah. I mean, any CEO who's willing to put up with Jack for seven years. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so then we have our credit sequence, and we get to our sort of little arc of Teal'c as guinea pig. And yes, not a friend, which I was thinking was like, I totally brought this up last episode, forgetting that this happened in this episode, that it shouldn't be that simple. Teal can't just join SG-1. That's not what O'Neill thinks. Yeah, yeah, I know. But like, I, I had forgotten that the show actually does address that. <laughs> oh, I mean, you know, I wouldn't be surprised at all if seasons later, we're still getting people who are all like, but he has an alien inside of him. Hmm. Probably. Assuming this show goes on for, like, nine more seasons. I think we can we can <laughs> say future knowledge about not knowing what happens in the episodes, even though we do. But I think we can safely say we know the show lasts for a while. Why are you trying to take away my phone? <laughs> no, the, the main thing I took away from that sequence where Jack is talking with Hammond, and then when Jack is talk, talking with Teal'c, was primarily that, you know, am I a prisoner? Yes. Yeah. O'Neill's willingness and 
to to be honest and forthcoming with Teal. Yeah, Jack's not really one for bullshit. No, as Hammond points out just moments before, not much for yeah. small talk, are you, Colonel? Yeah. I also, as with every episode in season one, can't get over the fact that Jack's hair is not gray. Eh, that hasn't, I mean, thanks a lot. I'll be noticing that all the time now, but I hadn't been noticing that up until now. As I recall, it's like a little bit into season two, it all of a sudden becomes gray. Mm. And then it gets progressively grayer throughout the show, but there's like a big jump from like all brown to significant gray. Gotcha. Anyway, so the next scene, uh, after Hammond talks to Jack about Teal'c being, Mm -hmm. needing, is gonna be having his interview and then Jack talking to Teal'c, we see Kowalski being examined by a doctor. And then this part was kind of weird. As the doctor's feeling his neck, you see the gold move under his skin, which I thought was weird. A little. And then he kills the doctor. Yeah, for me, my I didn't write down the thing about the ghoul moving under his neck, but I under his skin, but I definitely did touch on that where it was this I thought it had already done that like that part of the I'm jumping into your body. Yeah, thing. exactly. But for me it was like I thought the ghoul were supposed to be smart just kills the doctor and then just assumes that no one's going to notice the doctor is missing. Yeah. Seems a little short-sighted. Yeah, and then we cut to the briefing room where they're talking about Stargate physics, basically. They're not talking about Stargate physics, they're talking about Stargate mechanics at best. And Jackson wears fatigues all the time now? Apparently. I get he's part of the team, and the rest of the team who's military wears their fatigues, which may be the wrong word, all the time, but Jackson's a civilian. I feel like if they were remaking the show today, and at some point we can talk about who we'd like to see cast in each of the roles, <laughs> if they were remaking the show today, Jackson would be wearing blue jeans a whole lot more often. Yeah, probably. Maybe even gray and black jeans. Yeah, like, Eli doesn't wear fatigues on Stargate Universe. Well, that's a whole different scenario. They are all of them wearing the clothes they wore from day one, basically. All right, so then uh, we see Kowalski, well, Gouldified Kowalski, standing Mm -hmm. in front of the Stargate, just sort of standing there. They go up to him, and he sort of snaps out of it, and it is at least apparent to us, the viewer, that he is back to human Kowalski for the moment, and he has no idea how he got there. Right. So then they take him back to the infirmary, and they bring in second Doctor, who is played by, I have no idea this actor's name, but he is such a that guy. He's in literally everything. In fact, he's, I don't know if he reappears on SG-1. I wouldn't be surprised if he doesn't, if he does. But I know for a fact that he's in an episode of Atlantis. The actor you're thinking of is Kevin McNulty. That's it. And yes, he's been in... All of the things. 211 credits. Right. Basically, if you've watched a TV show from the 90s or early 2000s, you've seen this guy. He was on Battlestar Galactica, a couple episodes there. He was on Kyle XY, which was a really odd show. I'm still pretty sure you're the only person who's ever seen that show. At least three other people saw that show. And you are correct, he was on... Stargate Atlantis, and we're going to see Aurora. How... No, no, not Aurora. Inferno. The one with the big volcano. 
Well, that I don't know. His name is Chancer Lycus. I, I don't get into the episode titles. I'm oh, to okay. be mobile site. Well, Inferno was the name of the Atlantis episode that he was on. Anyway. Sure. And we're going to see how terrible the splicing is for all of this. Okay. So, so yes. So, we get back to the doctor who says, let's have an MRI immediately. Yep. And now we are back to... Uh, we, ha- we get to Hammond's office, and... He, Colonel Kennedy, and the aide. I don't now, know if they ever got a name. Yeah. I don't know about you, but I feel like the actor playing Colonel Kennedy, certainly based on looks, is sort of a discount uh, uh, Mel Gibson. Mm, I'm going to disagree with you there. All right. Obviously, we are not supposed to like. Obviously. But what I did like was... And I don't know if you noticed this or not, but there was this like 30 second long tracking shot from, you know, the second it cuts to them in the office because the office has windows that you can see into it. They come out the door. The camera follows them coming out, gathering at the head of the table. Yeah. Goes across the room kind of spins around Teal'c with his two guards a little and bit. And Teal'c's kind of, like, in the shadows in that shot, too, which is interesting. Yeah, a little. Um, you know, seriously, like, 30-something seconds, which, when you look, you compare it against what, how the rest of the scene plays out, where it's nothing but quick-cut, close-up shots of everyone's face the entire time. Mm-hmm. Like, I have to wonder if they had, like, had someone who was doing, like, director of photography or filmography. I don't know if it actually is, like, a difference that there. Uh, like, running the show, who then is like, well, I'm done. <laughs> it was either during this scene or one of the later ones where they do the extreme face close-ups where I'm thinking, wow, you can really tell this was shot back in the days of standard definition TV. <laughs> okay. Because they don't do... Well, you do close-ups on people. You don't, like, zoom in so their face is all you see anymore on TV. I wonder how much of that is that... Because nowadays it's all widescreen. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. yeah. But yeah, no, yeah. So so for me, the crazy one tracking shot... Um, yeah. I assure you nothing untoward is happening here. Untoward? Who talks like that anymore? Well, and clearly, the first clue that something untoward is happening is the, the statement, I assure you nothing untoward is happening. Oh, yeah, no, definitely. Yeah, that's a telltale sign if I've ever heard one. But then, you know, the next thing I touch on, I guess, maybe that was technically before this, but it was, you know, it's teal, T-E-A-L apostrophe C. Yeah. So first of all, teal speaks English, which is weird enough. Yes. But he spells English? Apparently. Yeah. We don't even get like a 38 second sort of throwaway thing where the Gould symbiote grants me the ability to perfectly speak everyone's language immediately forever. <laughs> or something. I mean. Yeah. 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 That was, that was weird. I, I definitely picked up on that and yeah, it doesn't make any sense because it must mean that Teal that the the Jaffa use the English alphabet, which makes no sense since they would have left Earth long before Arabic letters existed. 
not Arabic, mm-hmm. Roman Roman letters, Arabic numerals, Roman letters. Right. Uh, so anyway. Yeah. Be- Assuming that they even have the ability to read. Because if they don't, if they don't use the English language for writing or our letter system, why the hell is there an apostrophe? Yeah, it would just be his name. Yeah. There's also an apostrophe in Gould, or Goa'uld, as it was technically supposed to be pronounced. Gold. <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah, maybe someday we'll get the answer to that, but today is not that day. It is not. No. Today is the day to comment on, because we get all of our extreme close-ups, that when Teal reveals that Earth, the humans, are the Tauri, Mm-hmm. And that well, Teal learns that. Well, yes, uh, yeah, they all learn it together. Mm. Where it was, you know, then you are their greatest hope and mine, and we get the close cut of Kennedy, who looks like he'd really rather not be. Yeah, but yeah, from the conference room we go to the MRI. The MRI, the suspiciously quiet MRI. Uh, but we see an MRI, the MRI for a second, but then it cuts to Sam and Daniel. Where Daniel says that he can't sleep because he's been thinking about Shaoray. Yes. And then he goes to lie down and finds the dead doctor. Bum, bum, bum. And I have to wonder if had if Carter had discovered the body, would the writers have put in her screaming? Because Jackson is weirdly lackadaisical about the whole thing. Even if he yeah. comes to the light and realizes what he's dealing with, he's like, all right. Yeah. And, I mean, how many dead bodies is, has Daniel actually, you know, come up close and personal? He's been living on a desert planet that is, at best, like an eighth world country. So, yes, many, I'm sure. That's, yeah, well, I'm glad that they did it this way, because... While this early in the show, they might have had Carter screaming at it. It would have been way out of character. Especially in light of what I'll talk about later. Cool. Then we come back to the MRI. Which is suspiciously quiet. And the doctor, the live doctor, not the dead doctor, just in right. case you were wondering. I wasn't. Uh, sees the symbiote. He doesn't necessarily know it's the symbiote, but he definitely knows there's a parasite. Would there... Would the MRI glow red on weird stuff that wasn't supposed to be there? I don't think it would, no. Yeah. Having seen MRI shots, they're pretty much, unless you know how to read them, you have no idea what you're looking at. In fact, if I'm not mistaken, you could have four different doctors come in and read the same MRI, and you might just walk out with five different opinions. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, for TV. That make, It makes sense to do it. Sure, yeah, TV. So, Kowalski comes out and is obviously possessed by the gold. We can tell this because he's not talking. And we get weird camera shots on this one. Yeah. And he eye flashes at the doctor. The doctor hits the alarm. And then apparently Kowalski just walks out of the infirmary. Again, this is where the weird camera angles are. I kind of liked this. The, like, the, sh- the long shot where, like, the camera, like, the reverse chase cam of Kowalski. Hmm. The angle of it was a little extreme at times. It was. It was I can see that. My yeah. beef. Yeah. So, and then we get to him getting into the control room, and he's just knocking people, you know, to yeah. and fro, including the un, as yet unnamed Master Sergeant Walter. 
and Carter when she runs in and is like, what are you doing? Right, but Carter gets knocked back, comes at him again, gets knocked back, gets put into a chokehold, dragged to the elevator, thrown around a little bit more, not a lot, but a little, you know, and then finally gets put out of commission. So she definitely would not have screamed at the dead body. Right. So yeah, Kowalski takes Carter prisoner and goes into the elevator. Mm. You know, like you do. Right, and then, you know, we get to, you know, Jack was chasing after him. And he gets to where the elevator is stopped. I don't know if that was because of Carter's actions or Kowalski coming out of Gouldness and pushing the stop button or something. Yeah, and Jackson is just there like, like, well, Carter this is weird. Okay. And Jackson's just there like, well, this is weird. I guess the elevator stopped. He's like surrounded by guys with guns pointing them at the elevator. And he's just sort of like, so this is like a Thursday around here, right? <laughs> well, I mean... Kind of is, but right on. I, I can't tell if he's laid back or confused about the situation. Yeah, he Why clearly doesn't know. Right. Well, he clearly doesn't know who's in the elevator, but just yeah, the way he played it was odd. Yeah. So then Kowalski is back to human Kowalski, mm-hmm. and he's like, "Someone just hurt Sam." I bet I know who it was. <laughs> so then they go back to the MRI and the doctor and they're like, yep, he's got a gold in him. And this yeah. is where they reveal that the gold is immature and that's why Kowalski keeps blacking out and it taking over, but it's not, like, always taking over. Right. So, then we go to that weird circular thing that you were talking about. Yes, where Kowalski looks ridiculous with his head in that little hole thing. It reminds me of those massage table things that you see in movies and stuff. Um, for all I know, that's how massage tables and actual massage parlors look like, too. I've never been to one. Well, we could ask Johnny, but we could also just look it up on the internet or have a human experience and see those and say, like, malls and such. Uh, and yes, they have the little head rest hole thing. Yeah. Anyway, that's what it makes me think of. Yes. We get another example of Hammond being willing to do whatever it takes for his men. And I've got to say, when he says something to the effect of, you know, whoever you need, I'll have them here in 24 hours. Hammond sure has adjusted to being the commanding officer of one of America's newly most important strategic assets really quickly. Oh, yes. In addition to that, there's also when he tells Kennedy, when Kennedy says, I'll take this to my superiors, and Hammond's just like, go right ahead, I'll just take it to the president. It's like, damn, son. (laughs) Yeah. The only other thing I took away from that whole thing was, then after he says that, he's like, this conversation is over. It's like, was that, why? why? I mean, yeah, sure it was, but why bother saying that? Yeah. So, then they cut to them talking to Teal'c about this. Mm-hmm. And Teal'c reveals that the symbiote will kill Kowalski if they pull it out of him. They also... Oh, I'm sorry. When they first went to Teal'c, they was to check to make sure Teal'c still had his symbiote. Right. Because they thought maybe he had, you know, put his in Kowalski. Because, you know, obviously, according in Kennedy's mind, Teal'c is evil. I don't know about that. I mean, just... Yeah, I guess it is the logical assumption. As far as they know, it's the only it's the only gold on the base. Correct. So, yeah. So, they then have the scene where they want to talk to the gold to reason with it. 
Well, I think you're cutting over the part where we're back in the conference room. No conference room scene. Okay, you do your thing, and when we get to the conference room scene in the video you're scrubbing through, I'll tell my thing. <laughs> okay, so they go back, and they want to talk to the Gould. And Kowalski, like, really just wants them to kill the Gould. Like, mm-hmm. he's he's in pain, he's just, just kill this thing, now. So then the Gould takes over, and it's like, no, you, I will not bargain with you, because you're scum, basically. And, I mean, I don't know, uh, was there anything that really stood out to you? I thought it was, like, a weird scene, but nothing, like, specific stood out to me. I didn't think it was all that weird, uh, and other than the general weirdness of dude has alien thing in his head that takes over from time to time. Uh, if you accept that premise, the rest of the scene, yeah, I can get behind. Yeah, fair enough. Now we're at the conference room? Um... Yes, now we're at the conference room. <laughs> so now we're at the conference room. Uh, after the thing where Kenny, Kennedy is getting into his callous but valid point that if Kowalski has a, as the doctor tells us, 10 to 20% chance of survival. 10 to 12% actually, even worse. 10 to 103% chance of survival, then... You know, shouldn't we not do the surgery and just accept that this is Kowalski's life now and see what we can do with this enemy, military, and intelligence asset? It is kind of the logical step. Like I said, it's really callous, but a valid point. Yeah. I get how everyone else who knows Kowalski is like, no, 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 no. Now we're going to do this surgery and possibly kill him. <laughs> yeah. Uh, you know, before we're, you know, before we'll let you take this critical enemy asset and just milk every piece of intelligence out of it that you possibly can. I get the, I, yeah. And I totally get where Kennedy's coming from, but at the same time, it's like, dude, this is like, this is the life of, uh, this is a, this is the life of an of a person who serves his country. Uh, we're going to do everything we can to try to save it. Absolutely. And although you know what this scene really could have used at the end of it, hmm. this conversation is over. Yes, that would have worked better there. Hammond apparently had one, and he wasted it early. Yep. So they eventually do agree to go up, go ahead with the procedure, uh, and then we cut to the doctor with a tiny circular thing around Teal's symbiote sticking out of Teal's chest pouch because they're trying different sedatives to see what knocks out a gould. Mm-hmm. And we get to the end of that and the doctor says, well, keep your fingers crossed or cross your fingers under that effect. Teal actually crosses his fingers. Not knowing the metaphor, but Correct. apparently knowing English to a T. Right. So then we get to Jack and Kowalski having the ever-present trope in these situations of, buddy, let me tell you my final thoughts. No, don't tell me your final thoughts. You're going to get through this. Tell my wife I love her very much. She knows. Right. And (laughs) just once, I'd like to see the buddy be like, all right, lay it on me. I did did like Jack's, uh, you know... I have something serious to tell you. If you die, can I have your stereo? I am uh, that amused me. 
Yes, but it did, if nothing else, date the show. Because yes. who the heck talks about stereos these days? Yeah, seriously. But I, I thought that was amusing and like a good you know moment of levity. Stargate's good for that. Indeed. That's our pre-op sequence. Um, oh, the other thing I hit, hit on was when Kowalski was saying this was going to be my first real command. He's a major. How normal or weird is is that? The idea that as a major, leading three other dudes, you know, leading a squad at best, was going to be his first real command. Yeah. Like, and, surely he's led men before. Yeah, did he mean first, you know, real unique command? Maybe he's never been CEO of an entire, like, base or something, which I feel like that rank possible, I think, based on my conversation with Steve, that Major could be in charge of, like, a small base. Yeah, but I could definitely see how he might not be. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I don't know nearly enough about this, you know, side of... But as we've, as we've determined, um, they clearly didn't fully know how military protocol worked yet in the first season of SG-1. Right. But it's also not uncommon for sci-fi shows to just sort of pick ranks for their characters and say, yeah, that's right. Mm-hmm. It's like, well, we can't have him be a lieutenant. That'd be crazy talk. Look at his age. He must be a major. And it's like, well, I mean, you're probably right based on his age. But then you give him, like, these lines to say. And it's like, eh. Yeah. So now we're at the operation. Yes. And the Gould appears to be coming out more easily than the Doctor expected. Yes. The creature, as the Doctor calls it. It yes. seems weird to me that all throughout the episode they can't make up their mind as to what to call the thing. They they definitely use parasite at some point. They use parasite. They use symbiote. They use creature. Uh, they also use thing. Uh, I think later and before, but yeah, they can't make up their mind what to call it. Which, mm. yeah. Oh well. So they do it, uh, and at some point, right before he's about to cut some. Uh, tendrils that are going into Kowalski's brain, Mm -hmm. the body convulses. Like, huh, that was weird. Better keep on going like nothing happened, though. That was weird, but I'm pretty sure it had nothing to do with what I just did, cutting those tendrils into his brain. I'd like to continue. Yeah. Did you? (laughs) Yeah. Well, I mean, his vital signs didn't get, weren't affected, so I can, I can see where he's going from. It's like, we can't stop this surgery. Right. But but yeah, saying it must not be related, that's weird. Because why on earth would you think it's not related? Thing I hit on was at a certain point when it was like, oh, well, at least it's going well, Carter says to Jackson. That's good. It gives me hope for Charay. And not Scara. We don't care about Scara. Well, Jackson cares more about Charay. Anymore. Well, yeah, sure. But he lived with Scara for a year as well. And I get that O'Neill, you know, it's just... Seems a little cold and selfish. That's all I'm saying. And a little ironic, considering how things that we don't know what happens yet turn out. Not quite how they turn out. Maybe. How they might turn out. Right. How they might, maybe, could turn out. If it were. Yeah. So, you know, this is a fairly... 
I also, like, wonder, and this is a thing that TV shows often do, uh, they basically say that, like, every doctor does every medical thing. Well, at the beginning, they said that he was the chief surgeon. Oh, did they? Yes. Oh, okay. That said, it doesn't mean he's the chief brain surgeon. Right. But that does make him more qualified than a GP to carry out this surgery. Says Stuart, medical expert. Sure. Okay. Well, then I guess I'll save my complaints for a possible future time when they yes. do the same sort of thing. Anyway. <laughs> we get done with the surgery, which is a success beyond the doctor's wildest dreams or wildest hopes, I think he said. Yep. The, then the next scene is Kennedy in Hammond's office saying mm-hmm. that I will definitely be taking Teal now that the Golden Kowalski is dead. Right. Another fine instance for this conversation is over. Basically, anytime Kennedy's on screen, yes, everyone should just be telling him that this conversation is over after every word comes out of his mouth. You know, hi, I'm Colonel Kennedy. This conversation is over. And I did like uh, they cut back to Jack and Jack and Daniel talking to Kowalski, and they mm-hmm. mention how Teal's going to be shipped out. And Jack says apparently Kennedy's ethics are selective, which I I found amusing because Kennedy tried to make the ethical argument earlier about yes. how you know the Gould is a is a, a an intelligent life, so we can't just kill it. Right. So then Kowalski says that he wants... Well, Sam comes in, actually. But Kowalski then says that he wants to see Teal before he leaves. He wants to thank the man who saved his life. Mm -hmm. So, Teal comes in. Kowalski orders the guards out because he wants to talk to Teal. Guards leave. Kowalski's eyes flash. And we learn that he's still really a gold. And this whole thing really bugs me because this is not a thing that they ever use again and in fact it i feel like with how we learn how we know how the ghouls work in later episodes this shouldn't even be possible that apparently the gould had fully fused with kowalski's body so it didn't need its gould body anymore so i'm wondering if it was that or if it was it said it was just an empty husk i wonder if it was more like a shedded off skin Mm, maybe. It was an infant, and, you know, as certain creatures grow... I suppose it could have just sloughed it off. Right. Before we get, before we keep, you know, get further on, though, I have to wonder, can a guy who just got out of surgery, who's still sitting in the hospital bed, give orders? He does still outrank them. Right. But there are circumstances under which, to my understanding, as a civilian, where you're incapacitated and it feels like the fact that, oh, he's an officer and he gave me an order really only works in circumstances where it's like, and that order was to go light that house on fire. As your defense for why you lit that house on fire. Yes, but wasn't the officer, you know, half dazed and just out of surgery and, you know, drunk out of his mind or something. Yes, but he gave me an order. And I have to wonder how... Yeah, I get what you're saying. So, 
then Kowalski tells Teal'c that he will give him one chance to, you know, redeem his traitorous Jaffa ways right. and serve him. And mm-hmm. Teal'c's like, no, I'm not doing that. No, that ain't me. Right. And so then Kowalski tries to kill Teal'c. Mm-hmm. He certainly, like, chokes him a bunch. Yes, he incapacitates Teal'c and bursts out of the infirmary. Judo chops the guard. Judo kicks the other guard and then storms off to the control room. Where he beats up Walter again. Again. Dude doesn't even have a name yet, and you're just beating the crap out of him time and time again. <laughs> and then he dials Chulak. Mm-hmm. And sets the base self-destruct. Yes. Again, with that stinking self-destruct. I had no idea it was going to be Chekhov's self-destruct. So we had a brief scene with... Uh... Teal'c and the Doctor, uh, Teal'c basically just saying, the gold is won, it's taking control. It's like, I'm, I'm really not sure why that scene was there at all. Why do we have a scene of Teal'c telling the Doctor that the gold is... Uh, yeah, no, that's a good question. I hadn't thought about that at all. It doesn't tell us, right. the viewer, anything we didn't already know. You're right. It's, it's not necessary. It doesn't reveal anything new about Teal'c's character, who we're going to need to care about for the next... Gosh, I hope at least nine more seasons. And, <laughs> yeah, it, re- it gives us nothing new that we didn't already know. It doesn't tell us anything about Teal as a character. It just, I, I don't know. And it, if anything, works against the fact that when we cut back to Kowalski, he's walking into the embarkation room, and there's oh. Teal already. Oh, yeah, that's something I wanted to mention. Actually, I had meant to mention that a while ago. They call it the embarkation room. Right. Which... Is interesting because of something that I shouldn't know about later. That in a few years, remind me to mention this when we talk about an episode that brings that up. Okay. So then Kowalski and Teal have a showdown in the embarkation room. Right. Right there in front of the start gate. Yeah. Jack comes rushing into the control room and very quickly assesses how best to end this scenario. Oh, well, don't forget, before he does anything, he and Hammond disable the self-destruct. Okay, yeah, fine. Uh, whatever. Um, <laughs> very quickly assesses that what Teal needs to do is hold Kowalski's head in the event horizon of the wormhole so they can then shut down the wormhole and off with his head. Well, the back of his head. Or something. And thank goodness Teal's little fingertips didn't get cut off in the process. Yeah, too. I was thinking that. And, you know, so then. That seemed awfully convenient. Kowalski falls, and we see the head of the, the Gould. See? It was, ju- it was just the sloughed off bit they extracted fall out of his head and then evaporate? Which yeah, that was weird. weird. It turned, like, into smoke. Like, what was up with that? Or something? It, like, it like desiccated immediately. Yeah. And then that's mostly it, that, that mm-hmm. episode. Except we do get a final, we do get a final scene of Hammond talking to the president and getting, convincing the president to let Teal'c stay. And Kennedy mm-hmm. getting a very chagrined look on his face as he talks to the president. And then we get uh, SG-1's about to leave, and their newest member joins them, Teal'c. With a helmet. Yes. 
but Jack does not have a helmet. He's already he's already gone to the baseball cap. Yeah. Oh, and the utter lack of dress blues, which we touched on a little bit when asking would Jackson wear fatigues. But yeah, no, they're not in they're not in blues anymore. They are fully just like on duty all the time, ready to go. Yeah. Although Hammond still wears dress blues. Well, of course. I mean, he's, you know, staff officer, the CEO of the base. He doesn't need to. Well, he, he stops wearing the jacket after a while on the show. Uh, sometimes yes, sometimes no, as I recall. Um, but it's certainly not, say, the, you know, army where, based on my personal experience, working in close proximity with army personnel in a headquarters position, they're, they were in the ACUs, and then, I can't remember what the acronym, I can't remember what replaced the ACUs, but the new ones, mm-hmm. all the time. They were never yeah. in Class A's. Yeah, no, Class A, it's, it's my understanding Class A's are only for, like, formal situations. Right, but you also often see them, I mean, like, well, for example, you know, the Marines have their something in between utilities and full class A's. Yeah. Where it's just like, you know, like the trousers and the and the, the tan blouse. Um, yeah. And they've got the, like the green jacket, too. Yeah, no, and I think the Army has something similar, and I would hope the Air Force does as well. But it, that... Yeah, the Army has green jackets, too, I want to say, for some situations yeah we're getting way off into the weeds on a topic that we know so little about yeah let's do this more <laughs> anyway yeah uh yeah no I, I i think you know yeah that was about all that i had to talk about for that episode solid second episode yeah to the as series as far as the season one episodes go this one's pretty good Oh, yeah, I really enjoyed it, and it definitely, you know, like I said, very solid. It wraps up the little bit of a cliffhanger from the previous episode. doesn't leave us on a new, fresh cliffhanger, so it doesn't seem like it's going to be one of those shows, which I don't even know if that was a thing <laughs> Those shows yet. weren't really a thing in the late right. yet. Yeah, uh, about like, the you know, only every episode, every other episode ends in a cliffhanger. Yeah, about the only shows that did that around that time were um, Babylon 5 and Star Trek Deep Space Nine. Which would have been this this show's incredibly obvious contemporaries. So yes. it is, for me, welcome that they didn't go down that route. Yeah. There are times when the two and three episode arcs work, but I don't know how well they work for a show trying to find its feet. But, like, that certainly wasn't the norm for television drama like it is today. Oh, yeah, no. I mean, television drama today is, like, forget two and three episode arcs. It's the season. Yeah. Tells this whole story, which I'm totally on board with. Yeah. The only shows that actually do episodic things anymore are, like, the procedural, like, crime shows. Yeah. So, that was the episode. Um, what's, What's our next one? The next episode is Emancipation. So thank you for listening to this one. Join us next week. Thank you for listening. We are at Stargate Weekly on Twitter. We don't have a website. We do have a website. It is StargateWeekly.com, but the website isn't real. It's super bare bones. Um, I am am at Gamicus on Twitter, if anybody cares. And you are... I am at Tyrannicus on Twitter, but I don't think I've tweeted in years. 
exactly the same and also no relation. Um, yeah. <laughs> tune in again 